Welcome to or welcome back to Blood and Bud with welcome your co-host back. Billy Coin. Jesse. Hi. Hello. So, what are we doing today? Well, I think we have a guest, and I think you should do the introductions. Oh, me. Okay, then. So, please, everybody, welcome Rob Peck from the amazing band On Your Deathbed. Yay! Clap, Jesse, clap. Yay! Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you for for uh, for joining us. We uh, yeah, we've been doing this now for how many over episodes? a year? Over a year, yeah, and just for a year. Yeah, we've just been busy with production, and so we're just kind of really just you know getting back really into the the role of things. So you know, we're actually just trying to you know just create some fun content and thank you so much for being here, Rob. And for having me. Yeah. We're just really interested in hearing. So you play guitar. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And along with on your deathbed, I'm also in um, murder Monday out of Connecticut and a new project that I'm announcing right here. um, RPE, which I've been working with for about a year. The Rob. We have an exclusive. Very yeah, cool. yeah. I love this for you. Yeah, yeah. I've been a busy guy, busy guy, but it's all guitar playing, so it's good. <laughs> so, are are you self trained, or um, did you uh, did you learn when you were younger, or what, I, what, what's your history with the axe? I uh, so my father's been a musician since he was a uh, maybe ten. And through the 80s, he played in a whole bunch of bands. He played guitar, then he played bass and everything like that. And um, when I was growing up, they were trying to, they tried sports with me. That wasn't my thing, this, that, and the other thing. And um, I watched um, a live Metallica video on VHS. And, um, And they played Enter Sandman. And I saw the way James was on stage, and I said, I want to do that. So my father... <laughs> That's awesome. I, mean, I, I love, you know, how... I mean, I know there was MTV, but, like, with VHS, you know, and, and music videos, you know, I, I love the fact that you could really kind of rewind something and, you know, play it again at your own indiscretion, and you can do it so many times, and you just, from a musician standpoint, like, if you want to just learn that riff... Or just, you know, whatever it may be. And I think a lot of people, I mean, just being a VHS junkie kid myself, you know, of a generation that just grew up with tapes, we would abuse those things. And the great thing is the fact that, you know, you would play stuff over again. It sounds like you would just be learning, you know, just at your own pace. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I I saw that. And I went to my father and I said, I think I want to play guitar. So he picked up his guitar. He learned Enter Sandman. He taught it to me, and that was it. It was game on from then. The eagle has soared. That's it. That's it. I I got hooked with Enter Sandman, and then I started, you know, gravitating towards the older Metallica stuff, Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning and stuff, learned those, learned how to read tabs, and then at about 15, I took lessons for a few years uh, by – 
my guitar teacher, Mark Fatato, played in a band with my father in the 90s, and he was an absolutely amazing guitar player. So I was in good hands learning, too. So he taught me what I needed to know. And then after that, started writing and joining bands and played in a bunch of cover bands and then finally started finding my place in the metal scene and started getting in metal bands. And that's where I am today. <laughs> that's awesome. So you've been, you know, how old are you now, actually? Uh, 35. So at 15, you know, you just picked up the ax and you just, and that's great. So, you know, you have multiple bands, you know, that are, you're in right now. And, um, what, uh, what, what other hobbies do you have? Uh, I'm kind of a nerd a little bit. Um, I, uh, like I'm into like the, the, like Power Rangers and, I'm a super Jurassic Park nerd and um I I do like uh not as like a job or anything, but I, I enjoy like detailing like my pickup truck, my work truck, things like that. Um actually here's a great one for you. What's your favorite dinosaur? Favorite because dinosaur? it's rare when someone when someone's up front and they're like, I'm a Jurassic yeah. fan. Like, never I gotta ask. What ask. It's, it's like, everyone everyone's varies, or some people are, you know, the same. I'm curious what your favorite dinosaur is, dude. If I had to pick one, might be cliche, but the Tyrannosaurus Rex, obviously. The creature of prehistoric times. <laughs> Jesse, I like the Velociraptor. That's my favorite. Now, the movie Velociraptors or actual Velociraptor? Well, my favorite movie would be Velocipaster, but a Velociraptor is my favorite dinosaur. Listen, I've I, I've heard that movie mentioned on another podcast that I listen to, and I've been meaning to watch it because all I hear is amazing things about it's it. It's fucking nuts, man. It's the most amazing <laughs> movie you'll ever watch in your life. I promise I mean, you that. I mean, to kind of answer myself is, um, I hate, I mean, don't, don't forget Jurassic Park. They're also like genetic mutations. So, you know, they're kind of playing with what the dinosaur is. My favorite is the Milli Vanilli of the dinosaurs that the Dilophosaurus, because there's no proof whatsoever that they actually had a frill or could spit. Because yep. that's never been documented in any of the evolutionary cases of dinosaurs. It's a romantic idea. I love the fact that there was a poisonous dinosaur. But it's like it hasn't been proven yet. So yeah. I call it, I call it the Manili Vili factor because, you know, of how, wait, that was disproven. So Jurassic Park basically does their own thing. Because whatever Mr. Spielberg wants, Mr. Spielberg gets. But exactly. I love I love the representation of what we've learned of the, the Dilophosaurus because I think it's just by design, I think, one of the coolest. Uh, well, you know, the part that I thought was cool about the Dilophosaurus was that the actual Dilophosaurus was like some huge, scary thing. It was, I forget what it was. In the, in, in the book, it is. In the book, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. it's bigger. I mean, Nedry's death sequence is way gorier. The, the book, book is so much better. The, the book is so much better. Yeah, but, you know, just to be blinded and then picked up in the head of the dinosaur, knowing that this pressure is on you, it's like, I'm fucked. I can't do anything. I can't see. I know my head is in the, this creature and then could shrunk. It's oh, just, yeah. So fucking cool. 
But you know, we're also, but, but that's the funny thing about Jurassic Park because even as a horror nerd, you you have like Stan Winston, you know, doing the makeup effects. You know, you have, you know, just trying to not really have these gory death sequences, but kind of see them as the animals that they are. But they're also genetically altered, so it's like, well, what, you know, there's room to play with it. And oh I, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the franchise. I heard they announced, I think, something. Another one, but I, yeah. I don't know. Yep. Is this? I don't know if this is. Not sure if this is Dominion or not. And Kitty. Oh, Kitty! Every time. I have three cats, so they like to show up on camera. <laughs> oh, yeah, hey, I have nothing, nothing but love for cats. I got three cats myself. Fuck yeah! That's like <laughs> the best number. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do, I do. Another thing I do enjoy doing as a pastime because I like live on YouTube. But another thing I do enjoy doing is um, watching, uh, speaking of, like, effects makeup and things of that nature, is watching, like, behind-the-scenes stuff and and creature making. And Mm -hmm. I'm almost embarrassed to say that uh, in October, last this past October was the first time I watched the the thing. I love that. I grew up. Better late than never. I absolutely fell in love with that movie. Yeah. Wait, so, did you watch the original or did you watch the remake? The original. The and way then, he's saying it, it doesn't sound like it's that ADI remake, even though I love those <laughs> guys, but it wasn't the practical Robbo team stuff back uh, in 82. You can't yeah. that practic those practical effects. You just cannot beat them. I mean, it's amazing just how meticulous they had to storyboard those sequences. They had, you know a legendary um, comic book artist, Mike Plug, working mm-hmm. with uh, Robo team, designing those things. And it's like, all right, now we take all this stuff. And I love the story, how he goes up to John Carpenter and he's like, show us what you got. And he's <laughs> like, so do you know how to do this? And he's like, no, no, you know, but, but we're going to build it and no. do it anyway. And that's uh-huh. really the reality you have to have. I mean, you know, I know Jesse's been doing makeup effects now, you know, for a while. And, um, you know, I myself. Was about 15. Yeah, 15. And I've been doing this for a few decades, special makeup effects. So I completely understand how arduous sometimes it is just because I, they had at least a year, I would guess, you know, in pre-production just to make everything that they needed because it was so, it's so practical. Oh, yeah. But it's I know, so fucking good. You, like the way it's shot, the way it's lit. Oh yeah, in in the the I know that um, Rob Boutin. I know he did. It's notoriously he worked like I don't even know eight days straight or something, making a few of the creatures and was getting dehydrated and sick. And oh, had it's to go true. Through. Yeah, I mean the story. The story goes, Rob worked himself sick. Um, some people know when to take a break, but I am one of those people that will work and work and work until I basically will have to go to the hospital. And I don't like to admit that, but it has happened before because you're just eat, sleeping and breathing and you're just loving everything. But when someone said to him, Hey, I think you might need to go to the hospital. It was, it was definitely a workload period. And that's when Stan Winston came in to help, you know, like, I mean, it, this was, you know, Rob's movie, a thousand percent, but he, and he had a good relationship with Stan. So I love that dog thing creature that Stan Winston made 
because he, I mean, but the, the versatility of the creatures, I think, is just what makes that such a compelling piece of art because there are so many different designs. And I'm a big proponent of goop, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, know? yeah. Because sometimes if it's not bloody, if you make it goopy, then it's even grosser. And Absolutely. Especially when you add, like, yellows and greens to it. Absolutely. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah, and you, and and you can do like water bags. You can do bags of like KY jelly and tint it with like you know food coloring and stuff like that, or even ultra slime, which is what I've been working with close to a year on this production, and it's the most viscous, pain in the ass stuff that you can't get off. It's what they made the raft out of in Creepshow too. So I mean, this stuff just gets you know, but you know, it, it's cool. You know, you can make yeah. that look like something oozy and, you know, creepy. I just love that look because you can do so much gore. But when you oh, do yeah. start incorporating that icky, it's like an added texture, you know, to watch. Oh, it. yeah. It's funny because my, my directorial debut is coming up really soon. And one thing I'm guaranteeing is it's going to have that texture of extra goop. Because you can yes. always be gory, but you want that like you want to feel you want to feel like you want to take a shower afterwards. You know that's yeah. kind of what I'm doing for my yeah. Like work. when it makes you feel uncomfortable, you did it right. <laughs> yeah, and but, uh-huh. but that's, that's how fear and horror works. You, you want to invoke something of you know, like it's easy to scare someone. You can show someone a picture of something unsettling, and but you know to build that tension. And then have them be hit with that gore and that extra ick, you know. That's you know, and but but you know what Rob Bottini, you know, and did in that movie. I mean, everything was just icky, and it's just, uh, it's just I don't know, it's just f- fucking brilliant. Uh, well, it's it's funny hearing you hearing you talk about uh, uh, you know, directing and, and building tension and everything. It's so funny because it, it's it's. So crazy how so many different art forms cross paths because I could say almost exactly what you said about like writing a song or doing something different like metal is metal and you know you can only put so many breakdowns in a song but you twist it a little bit you change something a little bit you add texture to it and suddenly you have something original and unique and different that pulls people in. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's the best part. Like you look into past and like, you're like, all right, I'm going to take a little bit of every genre and create my own like fucked up thing. That's the way to do it, man. Really yep. and, and, but you know, the funny thing is if you're using something that sounds like a little too mainstream, it's called the power of three. It's like, just switch it up where you have some different instrumentals, different things, just so you're not getting that phone call from, you know, their lawyers saying, hey, yeah, I, yeah. I smell some litigation going on here. Yep, yep. I mean, when I when I started writing music uh, and really getting into writing music, like right now we're in my little tiny home studio, but um, when I started recording and writing music, um, it was right around when uh, Doom 2016 had come out. And oh, yeah. wrote that amazing soundtrack and he did a, a interview at some convention and his biggest thing when he was writing that soundtrack that he was trying to convey is change the process, change the outcome. So instead of starting a song with a guitar riff or something, mm-hmm. I started with a synth 
or I'd start it with a sequence synthesizer part or a drum beat or whatever and completely change. It changes the whole entire vibe of everything. I remember when the Apex, did the Apex Twins have anything to do with that soundtrack at all? Nope. That soundtrack was fully Mick Gordon. Very cool. But yeah, I mean, shit. I mean, I, I love, like, what's well, funny how you say, like, Doom, you know, um, but even, like, music and video games. Because, like, I mean, I grew up with David Wise, you know, because to me, Donkey Kong Country, I think, is one of the greatest fucking soundtracks of all video games. Oh, it's so good. There's, there's only a handful, if you really think of it. But, you know, that electronica stuff that, you know, he was throwing and, and playing on there, making it sound like a fucking guitar or even like a fucking old school shanty just blew my mind away. I mean, it's amazing oh, what these yeah. guys were doing. And it's, it's like with this new project, RPE, where, where we're calling what we do um, apocalyptic groove because Static X had already taken Evil Disco. But it's very much on the same line where it's got these big electronic EDM type synths and 808s and things like that with this driving metal on the top of it. But it's got a groove where you can, like, you can dance to it. You can headbang to it. You can dance to it. You can mosh to it. Whatever you want to do, you can do whatever you want to do to it. Yeah. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm really excited with what you're telling me because I have something in my roster once I hopefully jump over to feature films. I already know what my debut I know how the movie is going to end. I know the music exactly how I want. And it's electronica. It's synth wave. It, it, it's drums and xylophones. I definitely want to talk to you a little more about potentially something down the road because I just, I'm going to, sh- I'll even show you the sample of, and, and can explain exactly, but, but that's yeah. awesome. And then, I mean, then that was kind of like a, because I had started that as a solo project when I was in deathbed and then built a band out of it. And then in the process of making that come to fruition, joined Murder Monday. And now it's like with Deathbed, there's a lot of metalcore. There's a lot of melody, you know, uh, harmonized guitar parts, but it's still really heavy. Murder Monday is legitimately just like makes you want to rip somebody's head off. Just heavy. Heavy heavy shit. Just some shit you just want to. And then fuck some shit up. Just you yep. know. Then I got this RPE thing, and and in writing with it, um, I decided to uh, kind of theme the whole thing, and it's got like a very uh, post-apocalyptic vibe right through the songs, the lyrics, our look, our sound is all very kind of crosses like Mad Max meets. Blade Runner. I love it. I mean, I yeah. love it. And, th- and that's the type of stuff I actually listen to. I mean, I'm a big fan of Synthwave, Industrial. Um, one band that's my go-to, actually, is uh, The Birthday Massacre. Um, and I really like a lot of that. It's weird to say Alice in Wonderland vibes, but, you know, not the album. It's straight Alice in Wonderland vibes, though. 
Yeah, but I mean, that album, Nothing in Nowhere, and, you know, I, I just love all those incorporations, and I really got into industrial beats when I was younger of what David Wise was doing in certain levels in Donkey Kong Country, like Minecart Madness. Oh, so, yeah. you know, you hear, I mean, I am yeah, a movie guy, but I worked in sales and customer service and FYE and the Virgin Megastore. So I was listening to everything, you know, but oh, yeah. I think electronica is just, and I love classical too. And I think a lot, I think it's easier for a lot of people that do love electronica to also love classical as well. But it's hard for me to say what I don't like, because I just like a good beat. And I'm I think the same way. When you find something with a good beat, how can I incorporate more to kind of move the beat? Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. out of curiosity, when you're writing music, do you feel it? Do you feel it's like a layering process, or do you just kind of see everything already in your head? Uh it, it kind of it starts as a layering process, but like uh, once, like um, the newest song I had written, I was going through uh, some synth plugins I have, and I ran across this sound and kind of came up with a little melody with it. And then put a guitar to it. So I had like four bars of a song. And then once those four bars got finished, then I started seeing where the song was going to go. So then everything was in front of me that I knew exactly what this had to do or that had to do. I started humming lyrical melodies and and coming up with ideas for lyrics for it. And just kind of once I punch in a couple of things, then I see the whole project from that point on. And and when you're writing, I mean, because, you know, being the show Blood and Bud, with the whole Bud component, like, I mean, do you enjoy, you know, like smoking a little bit or drinking a little bit? And you feel like maybe the sound that comes from there might be slightly different from the sober mind? Well, it's funny that you say that because I have been sober now for three years and three months. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. And um, I think it's more when I, when I was drinking, it riffs would kind of fly out, but looking back, all the riffs that would fly out, just ended as that. They were just riffs. They didn't come to anything. They have, you can't really punch them in anywhere. Since I got sober and started writing, um, it's more methodical. Mm-hmm. Like I'll come down here and maybe have an idea or just want to get an idea and I'll put on like, um, a big one that I've been kind of throwing on in the background is um, Dark Ambience. Okay. It's like a spooky, kind of eerie, just like noise kind of. You know, it's synths and strings and stuff, but it's very long, droning kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it kind of like puts me in a mindset. And once it gets me there, then I'll start – uh listening to different things or I'll, I'll start trying to like pinpoint, Hey, what's that sound in this? Or what's that sound in this? And then kind of like, 
ideas start coming and flying off the shelves, you know, it just, but it's more, it takes a little bit. The process is a little longer, but yeah. the product is a lot better. <laughs> no, but that's great. I mean, cause you know, I mean, sometimes you go through your periods where it's like, you're putting out content and it's like, this is good. This works. But like when you can actually with a sober mind, take more, a little more time with it and just really be a little, as you said, you know, methodical, but everything it's like, this sounds way better than it has any reason to. So it's, yeah. it's almost like the, the thought processes, you know, are, are slightly yep. different. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, it, it's, I've always, as I'm sure every artist in the world is, I'm always super critical of myself. So I had written, I think it was maybe 10 songs before I formed it into a band. I had written about 10 songs and I just kind of, once I got the members, I showed them the stuff and I'm like, ah, oh, man, they're going to want to change everything. And, and they just listened to it and they're like, dude, like, how do you do this? Like, you know, like, how do you even come up with that? And it's like, oh, I just sit there and I'm like, oh, hey, you know, it's just kind of, Happens. Sometimes it, the best stuff happens when you just kind of let it flow and go. Yeah, because I had that's the, the real you, man. Yeah, I had I had the sound up here, and it was just getting it from here to the speakers. And that, are you are you familiar at all with uh, the fast way? Yeah, because I mean it's so funny because I, I it just popped in my head when you were saying that because I just I was thinking like the even like the horror infusion with metal. Where mm-hmm. you look at, you know, movies like Trick or Treat, um, where Fastway actually did the soundtrack and, yep. you know, um, other movies where I love how even it's as small and ridiculous as it is, like Dollman versus Demonic Toys actually had Kevin DeBrow from Quiet Riot and uh, doing the soundtrack. So, but like anything with Randy Rhodes, I was always fascinated by. And I think it was David Bryan of David Bryan was what Metallica? No, David uh, David Bryan was he, he 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 he's a musician as well. But I remember I know he did was doing scores for Netherworld with actually Edgar Winters as well. Oh yeah 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 yeah. But yeah, so I love seeing how so many great recording artists, you know, kind of transition over into not just film, but even like the genre stuff because you know. I, I even love what like Trent Reznor did. I think it was for fucking Alice, the video game, um, or wh- whoever that was. I think Alice I think was, yeah, but it was American McGee's Alice, and it but it was yeah. I think Trent Reznor. I think and I think it, you're right. And I yeah, I could be wrong though, but it was just so many. I love the crossover because sometimes you watch something and you're like wow, that sounded really good. Then you watch it again. I was like, holy shit. It's like, this is actually a band that I listened to. And then you almost like, are like, I have to get the soundtrack. I mean, uh, are, there, are there any like horror soundtracks that you're really into? Um, or what soundtracks are you into, if at all? I actually listen to a lot of soundtracks. Um, uh, wow. You put me on the spot. Like now. the actual scores of the movie or like the... Yeah, the- yeah. Oh, okay, the, yeah. 
Boars and I, I have a vast array as well because I mean it's it's so hard. I mean I'm a big Richard Band fan. Um, Puppet Master and Demonic Toys are some of my favorite scores of all time. You know Jerry Goldsmith is one of the greats, but you know that Gremlin rag just amps me up whenever I hear it. You know, and I think you can even pull from just like some of these people that are doing film music and it's, and they make, it truly makes you feel something. It truly can invoke something. And that's yeah, what I think you know, after hearing it. It's insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, it's lift your spirits like the gremlin rag or, bring oh, yeah. you, or bring you down. If it's something that's, you know, meant to be just so dramatic and just help so serve the purpose of the visuals. Oh, with, yeah. with that the company, uh, John Williams, obviously, oh, uh, um, Silvestri, uh, Alan Silvestri, he's a great, uh, he's, uh, composer. he, he did like my childhood. He did back to the future. He did predator. He did so many, just that kind of stuff. I actually listen to a lot. If I know I'm going to get into a writing process mm-hmm. because there's so much going on in the way that everything works together between the horns and the strings and, and just the way it's all composed. And like you said, the, the, the emotion it gives you, it helps, you know, figuring out crescendos and innuendos and all this different <laughs> things and staccato and everything. It just, it makes, you know, when you feel it, it's like, okay, I got to do something like that because I want to invoke that feeling. Yeah. It just reminds me of um, like how just powerful music is in general for movies, anything like that. It was this one time, little story time when I was a kid. My father was um huge musician. He played everything stringed. He had sitars, guitars, banjos, anything you could think of. And they're all on the walls. And this one night I went downstairs and him and my mom were singing and playing guitar. And he starts just playing something and I'm sitting there and I just start bawling my fucking eyes out. Like, for no no lyrics or anything. It was just the sound of that music. Just, ah, uh, it hits you. So it's just like, hearing the inspiration is fucking cool, you know? Well, and, it, and it's, it, uh, we do a couple of covers with RPE. Um, and one night, uh, one week before practice last year, I had told the guys in the band, I said, you guys familiar with Alice in Chains? nutshell and i go yeah i said okay learn it before practice i'm like just trust me (laughs) and we recorded this reimagining of the song that as i was hearing back the recording i like started almost weeping oh like nailed it (laughs) yep insane. I, I think what I heard re- recently, um, I think it's classical and it's uh, a river runs through it or a river runs something. It's, I don't know if it's through the heart, but it's just instrumental. And um, when those chords can really start pulling on your heartstrings and the floodgates open up, then the music has really done its job. It because it, it just moves you. And I think that's the only way to actually say what, what music is supposed to. It's mm-hmm. supposed to move you. And I can only Im- imagine, you know, like, just 
just just riffing with some friends, you know, and just and and, and you hit on something where it just creates a sense of nostalgia or happiness or even invoking something deeper. And it's like, let's play with this. Let's see where this can go. And it can almost become something, you know, on its own. Oh yeah. I, we, we released uh on your deathbed released an EP last year, right around this time last year, we released an EP and, um, I mean, playing the songs and learning the songs is one thing. And I mean, you know, vibing with the boys and, and doing the thing and like really writing this amazing music. And then we listened to the EP back and I would find myself like listening to certain songs over and over again. Cause it's like, whoa, I hope everybody feels what I'm feeling right now. Listening to this song. Cause whether it's like, uh, I mean, a lot of, a lot of our songs are, are horror themed, uh, and um you know on your deathbed they're they're very you know we got a song about zombies we got a song about uh vampires we got a song about werewolves it's pretty cool um but I, I, I enjoy i really do enjoy that format of um music i actually had, was lucky enough to do a music video with uh the ice nine kills close to 10 years ago and it was a pennywise inspired song but i made some fake intestines for it for the video and you know i've listened to on your death about before you know i mean i've known bob for years through the convention scene i have a feeling we've actually um shook hands before i think at rock and shock Um, you might not be wrong there (laughs) um but i just love the music that comes out of the um the horrors of um, film or the theater, um, especially because, you know, you lay the foundation foundation there, whether if it's an IP or it becomes a franchise or a standalone. And I'm, I, that's why I also love, like, The Clash and, um, oh, I'm having a brain for The Misfits. Um, oh, the Misfits! I think the Misfits, you know, I love how they incorporate horror. I mean, they were kind of the real, really the first band that mm-hmm. I listened to when I was young, and I'm like, I fucking love this. And shortly in accompaniment, I think when I discovered Misfits, I learned the Ramones. And I was so mesmerized by this concept of music I never heard before, because even though it was before my time, I think it was the even catchier than the stuff I was listening to on the radio. And I was like 10 years old. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, so it, it, it will, it will make a lot of sense knowing Bob. We would like, we come up with the song and then Bob sits down with it and comes up with the lyrics, which is why a lot of them end up going the route of horror because he's, you know, ingrained. he does yeah, all the stuff, ingrained. you know what I mean? So it's just like, uh, yeah, this works, and this works, and he does such a great job with it, too, because it, like, it makes sense, and it's catchy, and it's, but it's cool, and horror, and metal, and uh, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. it's, infused, it's infused with awesomeness. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I, mean, I love my 
you know, the metal of the horror sound, you know, I mean, it's just, it fucking works. And I think Robert England actually said that many, many moons ago, he's like, you know, there's something naturally um, inherent um, how horror and metal are so closely attributed or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Yep. I think they really do go hand in hand. And I think even metal is a standalone. Like, I mean, I'm a product of the early 80s, but I I mean, you know, I still have a love of 80s music and, you know, 70s, you know. But I, I also love rap, but I love early rap. To me, I think the Sugar Hill Gang... Rapper's Delight is probably one of the greatest rap songs ever created because it just... I couldn't like, agree more. I couldn't agree more. Because it just it helped lay the foundation so much. And it's, 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 it's fascinating how there are so many different aspects of music and where they stem from. And, I mean, what other music do you like to listen to that would I think might surprise people? Um, I listen to... Uh, a little bit of um, K-pop and J-pop. Yo, I love K-pop. J-pop's fucking fun too. Oh yeah, definitely they know a, how they have a good time. It's catchy, it's catchy. It has a good beat. It's very danceable. You know, very. And it's just, I always describe it as a fun time. I, mean, I, I I've been a fan of K-pop. I kind of jumped on a little later, but I just had this amazing appreciation for these artists halfway around the world that want to make and sound like us, you know, whether if they're a little behind us or if they're right with us, but they're, you know, like that K-pop is just, you know, it's on par, you know, it's, it's good shit. And I am a fan of country music too. That's kind That's, of shocking. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that when you Yeah. I own three. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, didn't someone just die today? A big name, I think. And Toby Keith died yesterday. Toby, really? To- was it Toby Keith? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toby, Toby Keith passed away. I think yeah, you're right. I think it was yesterday. I, I saw that. Wow. But yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, like... You're that old. He had stomach He was only like 63, I think, or 64. He wasn't that old. But, you know, I mean, I didn't listen to a lot of Toby Keith growing up, but, you know, I grew up with a lot of rockabilly in a strange, weird way. Um, I always attributed Johnny Cash to, you know, kind of a big wig in rockabilly. In a strange way, I don't I don't think they are, but uh, Nick Cave in the Bad Seats, I thought, kind of had some of that mm-hmm. twang about yep. that. Even though it wasn't exactly, you know, country, but I, I love that metal with the twang. And then I discovered other people like Mojo Nixon a few years later, and he was just so erratic and all over the place. And so it, I like kind of like that strange backroads roots in country of how. Yeah, how yeah. So. I, I more recently in my years discovered uh, Psycho Billy. Oh. Like, yeah. you know, it's like if Thrash was played in the 50s. It's amazing. This sounds very interesting. Oh, it's amazing. It's like Rockabilly sped up with a little more grit and a little more anger and a little more darkness to it. I love Rockabilly. Like, uh, what was it? Fucking, ah, uh, shit. Horror Pops. Fucking adore mm-hmm. the Horror Pops. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, 
for the country thing, like, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of country, but I like folk music, like, the, or like the Dead Cells. Like, so oh, yeah. very Dead Cells are but, awesome. I love folk. Like, I love it. Oh, well, I mean, you get into, like, I listen to a lot of, uh, like, Waylon Jennings, uh, Johnny Cash, the old okay. school dudes, like the real country stuff, just because it, it, it's got a vibe to it. And the storytelling aspect of the songs from that era is just like Folsom Prison Blues from, uh, Johnny Cash. Just like it's a whole story about how he ended up in jail, what he does in jail, and how he feels about being in jail, but it's like a whole story told in a song. Oh, a three-minute song. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. I have a lot of respect for Johnny. I mean, to me, he was just one of those... I even love the movie that they did, you know, Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, Joaquin Phoenix is a very good actor, but, you know, just learning a little more about the man, you know, I mean, there was a lot going on with that guy. And mm-hmm. uh, he was he was really deep, and I love the fact of how the way he he wrote, you know, yep. and it's I love like the story it, of how it, he got because, hurt because he ultimately lived it, and I think that's really kind of the best way, you know, to kind of write is from you know actual experiences, you know, if you can. It's mm-hmm. as crazy as it is. I mean, the original King Kong is somewhat autobiographical because of the producers of having such crazy lifestyles, you know, and. The whole Kong aspect with the whole fantasy was almost like an afterthought. But when you meet people that have had these amazing lives that have done so much, it's like, dude, it's like you should write a book. It's like, forget about that. Write an album, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For real. For real. Because there is a there is a knack to it, just like anything else, just like writing a movie, writing a play. It's the same thing. You, You you have you fall into or even even like an Ice Nine Kills, where they they rolled with that horror aspect and took all these horror icons and made like theme songs for them almost. It just to be able to work that and make it as awesome as they do, or like Johnny Cash and and so many other people to be able to create a story and especially if you do it from experience where somebody could listen to it and be like, whoa, like I know exactly what this is, or I know exactly how that feels or, Hey, somebody else feels like I do, which I run into a lot. Yeah. Where, you know, and, I, that, and that's also the cool thing, like with the horror stuff, because you can now almost ask questions in some of these songs or questions because how they correlate, you know, to the movie itself. So, yep. You can almost make like a a limerick in a way, yeah. you know, just kind of put, you know, music behind it. And it's like, wow, we're asking whatever Norman Bates questions, you know, or, you know, something crazy along those lines. Yeah. And yep. Why does the lep need his gold? <laughs> you could turn that into a rap considering how they went. Yeah. To the hood. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, it's just. I mean, you know, I have those other hobbies and, and other things I dive into, but I mean, for the most part, I eat, sleep, and breathe music. It's it's just, it gets me away from everything. It, it, it makes me feel 
better if I'm having an off day or a rough day and certain bands with certain songs help me get through a day or, you know, it, it it's always been there. I know that's almost cliche to say because oh, but it's, it's very true. No, it's in your soul, man. It, it's so music is literally your drive. Like that's what keeps you going is music in general. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, I dude. I can't do anything without music. I can't sleep. I can't work. I can't. I mean, even when I'm writing and stuff, I'll come up with something and I'll put the guitar down for a minute and then I'll like listen to something that's kind of in the vein. If I yeah. hit brick wall or something, or if I start stressing myself out or working too much, I have di- all different kinds of music that I go to depending on my mood or what I need or, and it, it has, it's, it's got me through a lot of things, a lot of things. Well, that actually makes sense. Cause like us as humans, we have like, like electricity running through us all the time. We are absorbing all these things all the time. And music can change your heart rate. It can change everything about how you're feeling and what you're doing. So we're, we're really connected to it. And it's just really great to see that you've taken that from such a young age. And how many bands have you been in? Uh, in total, I've been in seven or eight, I think. No shit. And look at you now, dude. Like, it's just law of attraction, and you're fucking doing it right. Yeah. Don't and, have and, a fucking doubt yourself, dude. Well, it's it's funny, too, because it my love of music even started before I started playing, because another hobby, I can't believe I missed this one, but I am a huge fan of monster trucks. Oh, I have. Nice. I was two years old. And it, it, that's, that was my thing before I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be a monster truck driver. That was my thing. And even with that, you know, um, at a monster truck show, they'll, they'll do intros and all that. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. see Bone Crusher. Exactly. I actually know who that announcer is. That was Mm -hmm. my old boss. His name's Jesse. He was, he does the torture show at King Richard's Fair down in Carver. Yeah, I mean, but those commercials were, like, ingrained in my youth because I just remember, like, you know, you know, like, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. If it wasn't Bone Crusher, it was, like, Get Destroyer or something like that. And, it's like, <laughs> and, then, and then it was, like, in, at the DCU Center. Yep, yep. But, I mean, at, at the at the shows, they they start the show and all the trucks come out of the tunnel and, and do a lap and they always had some kind of, you know, big epic music to introduce it. And when I started taking guitar lessons, uh, I had gone to a monster truck show with my father and they used kickstart my heart, Motley Crue for introductions. And when I started taking guitar lessons, that was the first solo I ever learned was, the kickstart my heart solo because it kicked ass as a monster truck intro song. I mean, yeah. Cause there's also even that inherent thing about monster trucks and metal. Exactly. You know, metal on metal, baby. Yeah, that's it. That's it. But I mean, I did learn a lot of good songs due to like wrestling. Just saying. Their entries were pretty fucking badass. Yeah. 
you know, there are so many different wrestlers, you know, everyone has a different sound. So, you know, I think it's only that. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Just, just to hear different things. And it's like, I like that. And sometimes this might've been, I'm a certain age where it was before I could just jump on Google and look it up, but Mm -hmm. you know, I'll be like asking, who is that? And it's like, Oh, that's so-and-so. And And it's like, all right, now I need to go to the record store and actually see if I can find the cassette tape or the CD. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but th- you know, C- CD held in there for a while. I will say that. Yeah. Yo, what was the first like cassette or CD that you bought? Great question. <laughs> Great first questions. or CD I bought. My first uh, one was um, Godsmack, their first CD. I was like so obsessed with that. Kid Rock, and then it was on a the cause. <laughs> The earliest I can remember, because I loved TV so much and soundtracks, was this X-Files soundtrack that kind of stuck out in my head. And that's where I discovered people like PM Dawn for the first time. Uh, I discovered Nick Cave uh, for the first time. I discovered uh, Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And mm-hmm. Screamin' Jay Hawkins, I don't think, gets enough love he was such an incredible entertainer and the song that was used in the series was frenzy and it's such this frenetic all over the place you know song that's just so fucking catchy but he was the original guy who sang the song i put a spell on you yes i love that yeah but you know I, i just I watched a documentary about Screaming Jay Hawkins and he was another one of those artists. I'm like, cause it's you, I think you really get newfound appreciations when you start looking into these people, you know, who were making this music because I mean, everyone has such an interesting life, but you know, these people are artists and some of them are tortured and some of them just had to endure so much shit, but music made them so happy at the end of the day and to become an entertainer and just stick through it and stick through the, you know, the trials and tribulations and even the, you know, race stuff for that mm-hmm. matter, you know, if they were black or whatever. But I mean, I, I grew up with a lot of Motown and I grew up with a lot of musicals. And, um, but like when Camelot was a musical, when Phantom of the Opera has, have, has always been a musical. But, you know, those were really kind of like the first things I listened to because when I was beaten, driven to school my neighbor used to drive us and all she she was big into musicals and i want to say i learned the entire album of miss saigon by the age of 10 very inappropriate oh yeah but um, but to me the engineer i fell in love with that character and you know but it was weird because it really all started with show tunes when it came when it comes to music well, I, I grew up, um, my parents being, you know, uh, in their teens and 20s through the 80s, I grew up with, uh, you know, Poison and Molly Crew and ZD yeah. Top and Scorpions. all of that. Scorpions, Quiet Riot, White Snake. Um, but I think the first album I actually bought was Devil Without a Cause, Kid Rock. It was just no shit. at that time I was what eleven, 
But it he was, was the biggest thing since sliced bread kind oh, of when he first jumped onto the scene. Good. I remember how huge he was that that bonk to the bonk. I mean, what, it, it, it was one of the biggest songs of the year. I mean, when he hit, he hit hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then shortly after that, I want to say it was after that, well, I, I, I fell into Limp Bizkit. And I was just going to say Limp Bizkit because they were I, right there. I still love pool. Limp Bizkit. I don't care. Me too. Me too. I don't care. Going to oh, see yeah. it in Yeah, I, I mean, want to go so bad. Break Stuff, I think, is one of the greatest songs when you're in a pissed off mood. I still listen can, to it to this day. I, yeah, I mean, Dude, I mean, the Woodstock incident, though, was fucking badass. Like, that was so insane. So awesome. So awesome. fucking dream. <laughs> Fred Durst is I'm a like, really good probably would have done the same thing. I will give him, he's a really good, I didn't realize how good of a filmmaker he actually is. But I, I, I was impressed when I was, was realizing Fred Durst was doing other stuff than just hanging out at the Playboy Mansion all the time. Yeah. 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 I didn't think, he make that movie with, uh, John Travolta. Fucking Travolta? Yeah. It's so creepy. It's, I think it's, oh, I haven't seen it yet. The tourist. Rob, the do you know about this? No. Explain it, Billy. Uh, but he, I, I, I forget the name of it. But it's yeah, it's the stars John Travolta, directed by Fred Durst. It it it, it came out like within the past like five. I'll get the name in a second. But it's so fucking. He is, he plays like a creep. Did you ever see um that Robin Williams one hour photo? I believe so. It, it's the fanatic. The fanatic. The fanatic. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's that's such, a Fred Durst movie. Yeah, Fred Durst, I believe, directed it. And, you know, so it's it's interesting seeing artists grow stuff, you know, like that. So I'm always interested in seeing who jumps into the director's chair and whether if it's a musician or an actor. I mean, a lot of actors are transitioning more into directors. You know, I oh, love yeah. some people can do. Cocaine Bear, I think, was fucking hysterical. And when I realized that was Elizabeth Banks directing that, I'm like, you got to be fucking shitting me. So, you know. I haven't watched it yet. My mother's watched it and said it was amazing. It's but ridiculous, but it's great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, everyone's Ray Liotta. He's great in it, you know, fucking Ice Cube's is son, who looks exactly like him, is in it, and he's great. Say again, Jesse, sorry. That was uh, Ray Liotta's like, last movie, right? Yeah, that, that was a, one of Ray Liotta's last movies. What a way to fucking go out, man. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, he started in probably one of the greatest movies about drugs, and he ended his movie with a cocaine bear, but still. Yeah. yeah. There were some drugs involved. <laughs> I wish the real story of Cocaine Bear was better. Well, it was so Poor fast. dude just died. Quick. Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, the idiot just throws the drugs out and then a bear comes along, eats it, immediately has a heart attack. But it's it's a great what if. And yeah. that's what makes that movie work because it's it's like what if. And I, I, I think a lot of, that's how I like to think when I write. You know, it's like, what if you know something so audacious, supernatural, out of the world has to come into a natural situation? The juxtaposition. How is that going to work? Is yeah, it gonna people is going to terrify people. It's the great mm-hmm. what if is, I think, one of the first things you need to ask yourself as a writer before you really start anything. Coming full back full circle, Jurassic Park. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, uh, are you a, are you, you familiar, even familiar with Carnosaur? Uh, uh, same podcast that talked about Velocipaster also talked about. <laughs> it's it's so it's, well. That's funny because you know Carnosaur Roger Corman. The movie came out one month before Jurassic Park. So Roger Corman is usually riding on the coattails of something after the fact, but we all knew that Jurassic Park was going to be huge. So he released Carnosaur one month before the movie came out. Huge financial hit for him because he was in the direct-to-video market at that time. And I think if Roger Corman is jumping on that train, Charlie Bannis has jump on that train. So he made Prehysteria that year. So I just really remember 93 being the year of the dinosaur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I mean, but you know, the, the sequels. I think Carn- actually, I think the second Carnosaur is better than the first Carnosaur. That's what I've heard. That is and what I've. Heard. It's funny because the casting for a Roger Corman movie, I mean, he can always get good names because he had good relationships with so many people. You know, growing up, you know, and getting people like Cliff DeYoung and John Savage. John Savage, man. I mean, the fucking Deer Hunter is probably one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, um, but yeah, the second one's just badass. I figure if I had a question with that or if I was following up with something, I'm just a little stoned over here to myself. Billy, what are you smoking? I am, I just got this. I actually am tasting the rainbow. This is actually, um, rainbow sherbet kush. And it's actually a 50 50, uh, sativa. Indigo. So it's, it's a really interesting, uh, type of high because it's the type of high that I I like when I smoke it. I can get up. I can take care of some stuff, you know, get some stuff done. And then, but when I sit down, it's like, all right, I don't want to move if I don't, (laughs) but it, but at least it's like when you're starting out and it's like, I got to do this, this, it's easier to get up. Yeah. Take care of stuff. So it's, and it's nice to feel a state of contentment. And, you know, I've been on medications over the years. And I really want to feel as content at the end of the day because your emotions are always going to be a mess. And it's really yeah. hard to, you know, to find certain things. I'm not saying that this will be something that will last forever, but mm-hmm. it's working right now. So it's it's nice when you can find something. Where you can be in a place. It's like your tolerance for a different strain. I understand that. Yeah. And, and the, the, sometimes the tolerance will only go for so long before, you know, it's just you're ingesting more. You're trying to feel more. And it's that mindset that we have. But that's all it is, a mindset. So there's no re- no need for righteousness if you can un- comprehend it. <laughs> it's been... Well, 15, 16 years, I think, since it's I been, smoked. Did you smoke yourself? And because I, I, what I was drank, your favorite? my favorite was I was a Gorilla Glue fan. Oh hell yeah! Um, yes, potent stuff. <laughs> if 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 I wasn't a truck driver, I'd still smoke. But. Random drug tests, the DOT things, and all yeah, this. The stuff. DOT, yeah, the, the DOT, you know, is yeah. you know, I mean, 
because of that whole raffle thing. I mean, I completely under, understand that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I work so, in construction, so I'm familiar with, you know, but, you know, I just, uh, I'm just a guy in the shop. I'm not actually operating much heavy machinery at all, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just going to go to gas station. Yeah, you just, you just got to be up front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're in the state. It's that, good, though. It helps a lot. But it can also, like, I feel like it definitely makes us lazy sometimes, though. Well, that's why I only smoke after work. I would never go smoke before work because, you know, you respect the yeah. job. You respect the paycheck. And, you know, after work, it's just nice to take a few puffs, you know, at the end of the day. Maybe have a uh, I take it, like, as a reward. Like, hey, I just worked eight and a half, nine hours. I'm going to go smoke now. Like, I deserve that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, but that's something that I think we should do as people is you have to reward yourself at least once a day, mm-hmm. but n- never at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, because when you do it at the same time, it, it almost becomes repetition. You kind of don't want to do that. If you can kind of make it a little more sporadic and treat yourself at least once throughout the day, nothing worth the excess, but a little something, I think... I don't I mean that's kind of how my belief is, but it, yours could be different. Yeah. I I can side with that. It makes sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> Same to me. I mean, with with dealing with mental health issues and things like that, I wish I could. And then when I quit drinking, um that would help but not in the amounts that I would do it. It would just make things worse. So when I quit drinking and now having no kind of like vice, if you will, um, that also made the focus more towards music. Because if, if I need something to calm me down or relax or take me out of a panic attack or an anxiety attack or something. It's like I have my Spotify playlist list is like, I don't know, 93 playlists or something because I have a playlist that I can just, if I'm feeling something, I can just hit a playlist and then that's it. And it's like, you know, this is my style. Yeah, I get it. If you say you have any vice at all, what would it be? Cigarettes. Okay. Cigarettes. Cigarettes and guitars. I'm I'm that guy. Guitars. Nah, I'm that guy. You know. I think I got what do I got now? I think I got eighteen now. Oh wow. And and it I'm looking at like two or three more. You know. <laughs> how many, so how many less Pauls in your collection? Uh two. Two? Wow. Three. Three. Well, Les Paul-ish. I have a Gibson Les Paul. Then I have uh, this headstock behind me. That's a Les Paul that um, a friend of mine built. And then I have uh, a Wild Audio Odin Zach Wild thing. So they're all Les (laughs) Paul-like. I mean, I... I mean, it's so funny how, like, Les Paul became, like, the father, you know, of the guitar, you know, really, with just the whole engineering, 
You know, I mean, either people know him or they don't know him. But he's just such an amazing, you know, part of the history of music. Well, I was I was talking with someone somewhere along the lines that was playing in a band and talking about guitars and stuff. And they were like, yeah, you know, I like to have like my own style and I, you know, signature guitars and stuff just ain't really my thing. And the guy had a less ball. I said, you do realize you're playing a signature model right now, right? but just the ideas in in especially like with with the les paul the 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 things that les brought to a guitar that we like take for granted now that were like so space shot out of left field ideas when he started you like humbucking pickups you know what i mean like we take humbucking pickups for granted now and that wasn't a thing ages ago. People like Lex Paul and Chuck Berry and guys like that doing this weird stuff with guitars and electronics and I mean right up to Eddie Van Halen. Eddie they was were almost all like designing, designing concepts, you know. You yeah. Say, and then just how people would elaborate on them. Yep. Yep. Me, myself, I mean, I got the few last balls, but I'm a Jackson guy. I, I have 12 of the 18 guitars. Oh, no, 13 now. 13 of the 18 guitars I have are Jackson's. So I'm big time Jackson guitar. It's that 80s influence my parents gave me, you know. <laughs> and I got to be flash. The pointier, the brighter, the cooler. Guitars, like I gotta be flashy. I can't. I feel just like be... a peacock, but with guitars. Yep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Eighties <laughs> was such a cool, cool time, just oh, for yeah. design purposes. When it comes to music, I just love the look. I'm. I mean, I'm very much an eighties kid at heart, and I think it's funny whenever I come into work. Um. I just, yeah, actually, Maddie just mentioned how, uh, I guess Dimebag used a Jackson. One time, and it wasn't his. One time, and it wasn't his. Whose was it? It was, there was a, a, uh, there was a cover band playing a bar in his town in Arlington that he was buddies with, and he got up and he played. I don't even remember. It was like I don't know or Mr. Actually, Frank, you know, right? something like that. I, I think Maddie might know. What if Maddie come? Would, would it be alright if Maddie comes in and tells? I think you might know this story. I might. I think that might be ending actually. I don't know. Maddie, you there by chance? Um, Maybe he's not here. Okay, so the voice. Oh, the goddess spoke again. There is no Maddie, only Zul. Only <laughs> Zul. <laughs> For some reason, I thought Dimebag had Jackson was a was a strictly Jackson Jackson guitar dude. I could I, I'm wrong, and I seen him in the poster, so I said, "What the fuck? I'll throw it in there." Yeah, no, he uh, he was he was a Dean guy from because he wanted a Dean ML which he was known for playing in a contest when he was, I think, 13 or something. 
And he played that for a long time. Dean went out of business. He almost single-handedly was able to bring them back into business by uh, Vulgar Display of Power, Pantera's second album. And then when Dean Zielinski left Dean, he went to Washburn and played Washburn up until, I think, the year before he passed. Then he went back to Dean the year he passed. Yeah, it was the Dean tie-in, because I remember, like, he saved the company, so that's what it was. Yep, yep. yep. I'm a big Dime fan, in case you didn't know. I caught that vibe. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> what, what were you doing that fateful day when they got Dimebag? I was in high school. I was in a makeup English class my junior year with all like the other guitar players in my class. It was actually kind of crazy. And one of my friends comes in and goes, time's gone. And oh my God, he could have heard a pin drop because we were all dime fans. Like, so it was just like massive shock altogether. It was bad. It was, I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget that day. That's exactly how it was. I was actually on set out in California, one of the first movies I ever did. And the PA comes in, he's covered in tattoos, he's a big metal guy, and he's like, shit, Dimebag died. And everyone just got really, really quiet because I didn't realize how many people were like, fuck. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then there were just the muttering startup, like, dude, I mean, he was just, it's like everyone just was just glor- glorifying him because, you know, he deserved it. You know, he was yeah. just a interesting, charismatic performer and just sounds like a really nice guy from the sound of it. I've, I've been fortunate to meet people who knew him very well. And um, the best compliment I've ever gotten was from a friend of mine um, who knew him and, uh, he said, you know, you really give me a lot of his same vibes. Like, you're a nice dude. You always got a smile on your face. You're always looking after everybody else before yourself. And you just live to play guitar. Like, and you, I'm a performer. I, 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 to go back to the 80s thing, even, I, when I go on stage, you know, I got, pants that I only wear on stage and fancy boots and I makeup and rings and the whole nine because it's, and it's nothing against anybody at all, but there's, you don't see that anymore. You don't see the flamboyantness of running around on stage like a maniac and like him jumping off of monitors and swinging his guitar around and, you know, doing little jigs to riffs while he's playing riffs. And you know what I mean? You don't, it, there's nothing more disappointing than watching a band and everybody's just standing there playing their parts. It's like, dude, if I wanted to listen to the record, I'd go home and listen to the record. Like I'm here to see a show. You know what I mean? That's why I'm never disappointed when I go see Alice Cooper. It's always theatrical. It's always on. It's fucking so fucking perfect. Anyone? Oh, yeah. oh so good. Like, I and can't he, even say it because of, like, oh, you know. <laughs> and he's even, like, over the top with it. You know what I mean? But even just, like, 
His head got chopped off by his wife. It was fucking beautiful. It was the most romantic thing ever. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. You, you really can't beat Alice Cooper as far as a stage show goes. Even now, you can't. You just can't. That dude still got it. <laughs> it's kind of cool. When I took Robbie this past year, we uh, went to Connecticut, and that was the same like area that he got banned from for doing the dead babies. That's and awesome. I'm just like, this is a history moment right here. History. It's so awesome. Little yep. Truly tasteless jokes, which you can never, ever go wrong with. Nope. Hey, they I, never you know what? But that being said, I think that's a glorious up note. I think we're actually going to have to start wrapping up here a little bit, actually. Yeah. But this has been so much fun, dude. You know, and I, I love it. You know, coming on, you know, talking, you know, about, you know, the music and the way you work and the stuff that you like, you know, I mean, thank you so much for your time. You know, I mean, this was just really been, you know, awesome. And, yeah, no, this has been, this has been a great time. I, and thank you for having me and, and, you know, let me ramble on about music and tying everything together and, you know, and it's, it's definitely been a good time. I really appreciate you guys having me for sure. Yeah. No, like, thank you so much. By the way, awesome merch that on your Oh hell yeah. Hell yeah, hell okay. yeah representing <laughs> so, uh, all those Patreon people. Look at this and get you some. <laughs> hell yeah. No, it was mad easy like talking to you. It was awesome learning about like where you come from and why you're here, you know? Like I'm so proud to know you, man. <laughs> hell yeah, I appreciate that. I really do. I really do. Are you guys going to be at Dead of Winter by chance? Uh, I know. The the festival at the end of this month that James is doing, and I don't know if Bob's going to be going to that or... I know, I know. By the way, in Worcester at 12 p.m. for the listeners. Um, I know Bob will be there. I, I'm definitely looking at it. I, I might be there. I might be there. Yeah, come on out. Yeah, it'd be, be a fun time. Oh, yeah. Damn right. Hell, yeah. Um, so before we actually go, my cat kicked off one of my tarot cards and I, it's a really good card. That's why I'm saying it. Um, just cause I'm witchy, but it's the 10 of pentacles. And that means everything that you've been working for, for all of us, is fucking coming together. And that this is like our time for our abundance. So thank you. Tarot. Yeah. Hell Hello. yeah. <laughs> I'm too witchy person, by the way, too. So, like, I totally get that. I'm a fake part. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you for everybody for coming on to the show, and thank you to the listeners, and thank you, Bombastic Media Network, for hosting Blood and Bud. Thank you, Maddie. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Until next time, we'll see you later.